Man, it is good to be back in Owasso. I am, uh, it's a little bit like you haven't seen your kid in a really long time, and then you, 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 you know, your kid walks in the door, maybe he's been at college, maybe he's been studying overseas or something, and he walks in, you know, I mean, you, you recognize him, it's the same kid, but he's so grown up. And there was a group of people who were going to church at River Oaks, and they lived up here in Owasso, and I remember I was working there at the church for Ricky Jones, and he said, you know, we ought to just plant a church up there. And so Ricky and I would come out here every Sunday night. We used to meet out there in the lobby, and man, some of the same faces, but a bunch of new ones. So um, you guys are all grown up, and it's really cool. Um, what a cool church. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. What a treat it is. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father in heaven, we pray this morning that our eyes and our ears would be open and that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be um, your words. I pray that they would be honoring and glorifying to you. And I pray that the people here, that you would speak to them during this message. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I called Blake about six months ago, and I said, Blake, uh, I'm getting ready to do a series on stewardship and giving. And I said, I remember you came to Ethos right when we first started. Well, it was about three years ago. And he preached a sermon that was really, really good on giving. And I said, would you come back and preach that sermon at Ethos? And I'd be happy to do a pulpit swap with you and come up there and speak to your people. And uh, he's like, let's do it. So... We kind of passed the baton to each other, and I came out here, and he went to Ethos this morning. But uh, from all of the folks at Ethos, they say hello. We love you. We are excited about what you guys are doing up here, and I know that you guys are excited about us too. Uh, at Ethos last week, and I know that Blake uh, brought this up as well, we talked about the, the, uh, the dad who's sitting in his chair in the, uh, in the living room, and he's got his... He's working on his laptop, and his little girl is, is playing with the little kitchenette, you know, and, and, and she puts a little plastic donut on a little plate, and she toddles over to her daddy, and she goes, Dad, 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 and she hands him the plastic donut, and he does what any good dad would do. He goes, for me? Wow, thank you. You know, he gets real excited, and he picks it up, and he goes, nom, 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 and, and the little girl squeals with delight. Why? Because she brought her daddy a gift that pleased him, right? And, and, and so just like I told Ethos two weeks ago and just like Blake told you guys last week, there are gifts that are acceptable to God, gifts that he delights in, and then there are gifts that he does not necessarily delight in. And the ones that he delights in are the ones that please him, the gifts that God delights in are the ones where we go, this is the best I've got, Dad. Here you go. This is from me. Those are the ones that are acceptable. An acceptable gift is a gift that delights the heart of the Father, which begs the question, how much do I need to give in order to delight the heart of the Father? What's my best that I could give him? Does giving God my best mean that I sell everything I own that isn't absolutely essential, move to a one-bedroom apartment, live like a pauper? Do I have to give everything away? Do I have to 
sell my car, take public transportation? Do I, do I have to give 90% of my income away and only buy myself the essentials? I mean, where do you draw the line? I was talking to a guy one time who was really struggling with this idea of, of, of uh, what do I keep and what do I give away and what's okay for me and what isn't okay. And I remember the, this guy told me, he said, I was sitting on my couch eating a bowl of ice cream, watching Sports Center one night, and I thought, should I even have treated myself to this ice cream when there are people who are starving in different parts of the world? Is it okay if I'm watching cable? Is that, is that an okay thing to spend my money on, or is God not happy with that? And, and, and essentially, he was driving himself crazy, going, what's okay, what's not okay? I don't want to upset God. Like, what? And I think that if we're being honest with ourselves, and we know that God desires us to be generous, he desires us to be good stewards, those questions come into our minds sometimes. How much do I need to give? How, much, how generous should I be? What, what's okay? Is it okay to eat out? Is it not okay? Is it? And you can drive yourself crazy asking yourself those questions. You and I, if we take what Blake talked about last week seriously, I think it's normal to be asking ourselves those same questions. And so today I want to talk about how to give acceptable, pleasing gifts to the Lord. You may have talked about the why. This is about the how. How do you do it? How do you give well? We're going to start today in 2 Samuel chapter 24. It's in your bulletin. And um, if you're taking notes, um, here in the bulletin you'll see there's two points. Number one, the amount matters. And number two, how to be joyfully generous. So let's jump into point number one, the amount matters. So it's cute when a little three-year-old little girl toddles over to daddy and offers him a plastic donut. It's cute. And it's, it's, it's the best she can do. She couldn't make anything better than that in her little play kitchen. And, and, and to the dad, he's, he's joyful about that. He's pleased with that because it was the best she could give. But what would happen, now I have a 12-year-old son, what would happen if my 12-year-old son went, oh, well, I see how this works. And he walks over to the little toy kitchen, and he picks up the plastic donut, and he goes, here, Dad. And he throws it to me, and he goes, happy birthday, <laughs> you know, or Merry Christmas, whatever. Here's your gift. You know what I'd say? I'd go, come on, man. You know why? Because it would not be an acceptable, pleasing gift. The same gift isn't, the, isn't pleasing to the Lord for everyone. It's different. It's different. If the, 13, if the 12-year-old did that, he'd be making it a joke. And I told my church last week, if we're being honest, many of us, in a way, essentially uh, play jokes on God when we give. When it comes to the gifts that we give, many of us, in a way, are essentially playing jokes. Maybe it's a few bucks here or there in the offering plate. Maybe it's a, a small check every now and then. Maybe it's a, it's a regular giving that we stop during the summer so that we can have more to spend on our vacations. For some people, giving 10% of their income, it's a joke. They could give way, way, way more than that. For some people, giving 10% is like there's no way they could do it and still, and still get by in life. 
I was listening to a, to a radio station a few weeks ago, and they were having their year-end pledge drive. And one of the things that they said was, no gift is too small, and every gift is special. But when it comes to giving to God, there's a problem with those ideas. Not all gifts are special to God. We were talking last week or at, at Ethos about Cain and Abel. Cain brings God a, a, a gift of, the, of his crops. He brings God a gift of grain. And Abel brings God a gift of, of, of the firstborn lambs of his flock. And God said, this sacrifice is acceptable and this one isn't. Not all gifts are acceptable to God. And right now there are some of you in here today who have never heard a preacher man, this is what I call myself, You've never heard someone be this honest with you. And to be honest with you, some of you are going to not like me very much for saying all this. Which is why I need to be really careful to back up what I'm saying with what the scriptures say. That's why I want you to read with me in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Let me give you some brief background here. King David has sinned against the Lord. And the Lord's bringing judgment against David and his family and against Israel. David is, is repenting and begging the Lord to stop the judgment. And a prophet from the Lord named Gad goes to David, and look what he tells him in verse 18. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Now, a threshing floor is, is, is the place where they take the grain from the plants and they separate the grain from the chaff or from the, from the plant itself. Usually it's a, it's a place, it's like a barn or a big open place in a field where they'll do this. It's called a threshing floor. The threshing floor likely would have been an area that also included the nearby wheat fields. Well, David is the king. A king who's an absolute monarch like David was over Israel, the thing about being a king is you can kind of have whatever you want. So watch this in verse 19. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. So here's the thing. If the king wants the threshing floor, the king can have the threshing floor. All he would say is, the king now claims the threshing floor for himself. But David doesn't do that. He says, I want to buy the threshing floor from you. And we're going to see why this is so important in just a moment. Let's keep going. Verse 22. Then Aruna said to David, I have an idea. He says, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. You can have it. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges. Here are the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. 
So let's review real quick. David is told by the Lord, you need to go to the threshing floor and you need to make sacrifices to me. You need to build an altar and make sacrifices to me. So David goes to Aruna with all of his people. And Aruna essentially says, what can I do for you, king? What do you need? And David says, I'm going to buy the threshing floor from you. And the guy's like, okay. Here, let, let me do something for you, though. Here's the, the animals for the, for, the, uh, for the sacrifice. Here's the grain for the sacrifice. Look, you can even take the yokes, which is, that's not the thing in the eggs. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the piece of wood that went over the back of the oxen. So, so it, it would hold the oxen in place, and the person behind the oxen would be going, you know, whatever they would say. Jason Kreider probably knows. Uh, the, uh, yeah, or whatever they would say. Okay. Do you have oxen, Jason? Just every other animal? Oh, just horses. Okay. I bet you have chickens. You have chickens? No? Okay. Okay. So anyway, he's always got his horses. But yeah, whatever. And, and, and he's, he's saying, look, take the wood, and, and you can even build the fire with the wood. I've got everything you need, in other words. Now, what David could have done is he could have said this. He could have said, you know what? That's cool. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Here, Lord, um, I bought the threshing floor. He gave me all this other stuff. The important thing is that I'm just going to make the, uh, the sacrifice that you asked me to make. It, it doesn't really matter if it, if it costs me anything. I'll, I'll just, I mean, it's the thought that counts, right? That's not what David says. Look at what he says in verse 24. But the king said to Aruna, No, I won't take it, but I will buy it from you for a price. In other words, David's saying, Thanks, but no thanks. I don't accept your gift. Why would David say that? It's because God told David to make a sacrificial offering to him. So David buys the place, he needs animals, he needs grain, he needs wood. All of it's being offered to him for free, but he refuses the gift. Why? This is the huge climax of this story that I want you to see. Um, let's start back at the beginning of verse 24. But the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. Now watch what David says. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I refuse to make a sacrifice to God that didn't cost me something. It's interesting. David knew that making a sacrifice to the Lord with animals and grain and wood that didn't cost him anything was like a teenager giving his dad a plastic donut. It didn't cost him anything. David knew that if he was going to give a good, acceptable, pleasing gift to the Lord, he should treat Aruna fairly. He should pay for the grain, pay for the animals, because he knew the only type of sacrifice that would please God was a sacrifice that actually cost him something. Verse 24, let's continue. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. By the way, burnt offerings in the Old Testament were required. Peace offerings in the Old Testament were free will offerings. It was like give if you want to. He made both. 
So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. So what's the purpose of the story? The purpose is to show us that it isn't the thought that counts with God. When we say, well, God knows that I would have loved to have given this month. I would have loved to have done that. I mean, that's where my heart is. But I I mean, this cars, this price for this model, this year, for this mileage, just don't come around every day. I mean, I would have given to God. I mean, he knows my heart. He knows I really wanted to give. Jesus actually answers that. You know what he says? He says this in Matthew 6, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. In other words, it's not the thought that counts. It's your heart that counts. And what I mean is, and I I want you to hear me say this, and it's going to sound really bad. You're going to go, I can't believe the preacher said that, but I'm going to explain it. Ready? The amount matters. The amount you give to the Lord through your local church matters. It matters. It's not just the thought that counts. It's the heart that matters, and the heart and the treasure are always together. If you say, I really wanted to, but I didn't, then your heart's really here, not here. Let's just say that you're still with me. Let's just assume for a second that you're still tracking with me. You're not so mad at me that you've gotten up and left yet. Thank you. The question that you ought to be asking, and you probably are asking, is, well, then how much do I give? How much do I give? That's number two, joyful generosity. In his book on giving, uh, and by the way, I'm getting ready to give you four principles, so if you haven't left room in your notes here, I'm getting ready to give you four principles. In his book on giving, Jeff Anderson gives four principles that help people determine how much to give to the Lord. I'd like to give you the same four principles that I believe are going to help you determine the amount that you should give to the Lord in 2016. I mean, we'll set short-term goals. One year. This year, 2016. How much should you give to the Lord? The four biblical principles of giving, number one is the amount matters, which is what we just talked about in point number one. Joyful giving isn't about intentions. It's about joyfully giving your best gifts to the Lord. Some people uh, from my church came to me and they said, you know, Um, What I'm hearing you say is, I need to give my best gifts to the Lord, but my best gifts are my time, and my best gifts are um, uh, treating my neighbors to dinner, to a nice steak dinner. Um, Maybe maybe, uh, my best gifts to God are are supporting uh, a missionary who is, is, uh, you know, not with the local church and and so I, I give to a missions agency, or maybe I support a local nonprofit food bank or something like that. Isn't that the same? And the, the answer is, those are all good things to support. But your primary giving should be to the local church, because it's the local church that's the bride of Christ. It's the local church that God promises the gates of hell will not prevail against. 
It's the primary means God uses to spread the gospel throughout the world. A long time ago, our church, our elders, decided we were no longer going to support missionaries who weren't planting churches. Because what, what we've seen over the years is that missionaries, they go to the mission field and they, they do great work, they evangelize a lot of people, and then they leave and there's no pastor, there's no elders, and Christianity ends up dying out. Instead, we support church planting. That's why we're so excited about you guys. You guys are a church plant. We are a church plant. Raul Bermudez is a church plant. We're going to reach Hispanics in, in Tulsa. And the reason that's so important is because there is no way that people in the world, human beings, there's no better effective way to reach them than through the local church. So number one, the amount matters. The amount matters and the amount should be given primarily to, uh, firstly, to the local church. Number two, see, it's okay for me to say this to you guys because I'm not the pastor here. I'm like, give to Trinity, and it's like, that has nothing to do with me, right? Number two, we determine the amount. We determine the amount. If you're asking the question, how much should we give? How much should I give as a single adult? How much should, I, should we give as a family? Most of us have heard that we should give a tithe of 10%. Did anybody in here grow up hearing they should give a tithe of 10%? Anybody? Me too. But the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians begs to differ. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bible, actually, it was read a little while ago on page... Six. Second Corinthians, oh, that was 2 Corinthians 8. I will be reading that one. But I'm also going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, which says, Each one, each person, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the Old Testament, there were times that God commanded his people to give. It was part of the law that they lived under. Examples of this included sin offerings and guilt offerings, the firstborn male offerings, temple taxes, and other certain tithes and offerings. All of these were times that the people were commanded by God to give. But there were many other offerings, like I said before, that were free will offerings. These are offerings that aren't commanded, they're encouraged. The New Testament teaches that those commanded offerings, like the sin offerings, the guilt offerings, the firstborn male, the temple offerings, those commanded offerings are no longer commanded. So, so if we look in the Old Testament and we say, here's what God commanded the Old Testament Israelites to do, we no longer live under the cultural laws of Israel. We still live under the moral law. But guess what is not included in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt give 10%. And so we say, well, what model do we follow then in the New Testament? We follow the free will offerings. Here's what those included in the Old Testament. Listen to this. It was the peace offerings, the first fruits offerings, the gifts to the poor, etc. The, the, the New Testament teaches that we don't live under the ethnic and cultural laws of Old Testament Israel any longer. Instead, we live under grace. 
And people who have truly been saved by grace give to the Lord, not out of duty, but out of delight. Paul's saying that all of us are, are, are to decide for ourselves in our own hearts what we want to give to the Lord. But remember, regardless of the gift, regardless of the gift, we must always ask ourselves, are we being joyful as we give? Is this something I want to do? Do you want to give good gifts to the Father? If you are a sinner, a broken person who's been redeemed by grace, if that's true of you, if you are overwhelmed, I mean, I, I couldn't believe how beautiful that song was. I had never heard it before. And it said two things are true at the same time, our worth to God and our unworthiness. Both true at the same time. We're totally, we're, we are more sinful than we could have ever thought we were. We're really sinful. And yet at the same time, we are really loved and adored more than we could have ever hoped. And both things are true at the same time. If that's true for you, then you give not out of duty, but out of delight. Because look what he's done for you. So, Number one is we uh, is the amount matters. Number two is we determine the amount, and number three we give according to ability. A good friend of mine went to a church one time where the pastor was teaching on giving, and he was using the popular passage in Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament before the book of Matthew, and, and, and uh, he was using it to challenge God's people. And in Malachi chapter three. Listen to what it says. It says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. This is God talking. He says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? And God says, Yet you are robbing me. But the people say, How have we robbed you? And God says, In your tithes and offerings. Now, I say zuh for emphasis. Uh, you know what I mean? Okay, so I was just thinking about preaching that way. Uh, you know what I mean? But it was the wrong people. Okay, so what I'm saying is, is that this is plural, tithes and offerings. This is commanded sacrifices and free will sacrifices, both. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you, God says. So in verse 10, this is the verse that a lot of people use. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so my friend is sitting in this church and the guy does a 10% tithe like money back guarantee thing where he says, if you will give the Lord 10% of your income every single month for a period of time and it doesn't work and God doesn't reward you and bless you, then um, we'll give you your money back. Pretty clever. My friend is a self-employed business guy and he has really good months and he has really bad months. And it just so happens that he decided to take this challenge and had a few really bad months. And what I mean by that is if, let's just say, $5,000 a month is enough to, to support him and his wife and his three kids and the house payment and the bills, 
and he's got to pay for all of his office supplies and his gasoline as he travels and all of his expenses. If 5,000 is the cutoff point, he was making like three. He was making two. Point's not how much he was making. The point is he wasn't making enough to pay his bills. But he had committed to giving 10% of his income, and so he gave 10% of his income anyway. He just had to dip way into his savings to get it. And in three months, his savings were almost gone. And he called me up, and he goes, you're a pastor. Why is God doing this to me? I'm so confused. I said, buddy, I think you're misunderstanding the text. We are not commanded to give a certain number to God. We are commanded to be as generous as we can be with what God has given us. Why don't you try that and see if it works? It did, by the way. I pointed him to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, which says, The gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And in this passage, Paul's talking about being generous. And he's encouraging the people to give, but there's no set amount. It's not 10%. And for some people, it's more. And for some people, it's less. People are to give out of what they are joyfully able to give. Do you remember what happened with Jesus and the widow? Where the, where, where the Pharisees were like, everyone, can I have your attention, please? Like the opening scene in Anchorman, right? Can I have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, I am now giving God over and above what God has required. I'm putting it in the box, everyone. I just want, wanted to make sure I was setting an example. I wanted to be a light to the world. There it is. Enjoy that, God. It's pretty good right there, isn't it? You like that? You guys like that? And the widow walks in, you know, drops two coins in the box and walks away. And Jesus goes, disciples, 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 come here, come here, come here. Did you see that? Did you see what just happened? That widow just dropped two coins in the box. And you know what? It was more than all those guys gave combined because it was all she had. What was Jesus saying? The amount matters. And the heart behind it matters. So what have we said so far? We're almost done. Number one, the amount matters. Number two, we determine the amount. Number three, we give according to ability. And finally, number four, the heart makes the gift count. The heart makes the gift count. You know what the truth of the matter is? I really don't want or need the plastic donut that my little girl toddles over to me and joyfully gives me. I don't need it. I don't need it. It's not valuable to me. I don't care about it. You know what I care about? I care about her heart. I care about her heart. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations that Ricky Jones tells is a story about a, a, a little girl who was helping her mommy do the laundry one day. And if you guys have heard it, you won't mind hearing it again because I don't mind telling it again. It's that good. 
The little girl is helping her mommy with the laundry, and she grabs her daddy's favorite shirt, and she washes it uh, really good. And then uh, they didn't have a dryer, so they, they, they took all the clothes out to the, to the clothesline to dry them and, and to hang them on the clothesline to dry. And, and the little girl couldn't reach the clothesline, and she was trying to surprise her daddy by washing his favorite shirt. And so she washes it, and then while it was still wet, she hangs it over the wheelbarrow, the side of the wheelbarrow, the rusty wheelbarrow. And sure enough, the, uh, the dad gets home, and the little girl runs out there to grab his favorite shirt, and there's just a huge rust stain on it. It's ruined. And she goes, Daddy, Daddy. She doesn't know, you know. She, she says, Daddy, I washed your favorite shirt here. And the dad goes, what did you do? You ruined my shirt. Oh, and he grabs it, and he walks off, and the little girl ran to her room, and she's crying. And the same little girl grew up, and she's sitting in a counselor's office one day, and she's telling the counselor this story, and she's weeping. And he says, is this how you see God? And she goes, this is how I see God. I think God's always disappointed in me. He's always frustrated with me. He's never happy with me. And the counselor said, I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me in a way that you've never heard me before. Listen to me. God would not have acted the way that your dad did. You know what he would have done? He would have put that shirt on. And he would have worn it to work. And he would have shown all of his friends. And he would have said, look how much my daughter loves me. That's how God feels about what you did. It was your heart. It was the best you could do. You didn't know. God doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. It just so happens that we give God our money instead of other things because our money is also where our heart is. That's why we give. When Paul told the Corinthian church to be generous, he never did so in a way that would have made them feel guilty or ashamed. And we are not asked to give anything we can't give. Jesus didn't come to heap guilt and shame upon us. He came to take it away. Amen? We're told instead to give out of our ability and to do so joyfully. And the only way we'll ever be able to truly do this is if we know the grace of Jesus, which Paul uses to make his point in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It's on page 6. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus gave up all of his riches and made himself poor so that you could be rich. He gave you everything he owns. He never said, mine. In fact, he said, you take it. I give it up, and I'm going to live the life you couldn't live. I'm going to die the death that you deserved. I'm going to give it all up for you so that you can have it. When we realize that, it's only then that we'll be able to repent of the things that make us either hold on to money because it brings us security or to stop spending the money 
because it brings us the attention that we desire and the status that we desire. It's only when we realize what Jesus did for us and it penetrates deep into our souls that we will joyfully give to him. I hope that's what you'll do this morning. I hope you won't feel any guilt or shame about what's happened in the past. I hope that you'll start to give joyfully your best gifts to the Father and to know that he's pleased with them. Let's, let's pray together. Oh God, we are a people who make a lot of mistakes. We are very selfish. We don't give the way we ought to give. But Lord, you gave everything to us. Lord, I pray that that truth would sink deep into our souls and that we would start to give joyfully, generously, with thankful hearts because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.